magnificent guest we've got here today is Tom Panos. And I've been a disciple of Tom's for the last couple of years because Tom is an incredible trainer. And this series is about us interviewing uh, people like Tom that can impart great knowledge to real estate agents to enable them to be greater at their jobs. Because Tom, I, I think you'd have to agree, that's what we are both striving for in the world today, isn't it? Hundred percent. Like, I mean, listen, we're probably we're not Mother Teresa, but we're trying to impact and make an income and do it in a fairly equitable way where you get rewarded for uh, returning far more value than what you get paid for. That's like you know the sort of thing uh, we're into, and hopefully that happens in the next hour. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let me give Tom the proper introduction. Uh, for those of you that don't know him, and I doubt there's anyone here that hasn't come across Tom in one of his Sunday night rants where he really does get to you know the absolute truth in what's going on in real estate. But if you've joined his real estate gym, you'll know that uh, every single solution to every single problem that you've got is within that gym. And I was a, uh, a gym member for two years and I've got to renew, Tom. I've got to come back in this year because I need you more than ever. Um, but Tom is Australia's number one personal development coach for real estate agents. Uh, he has trained the top 1% of agents in the industry. And uh, all of those agents that really do what Tom says, they're all writing more than a million dollars. In fact, Tom, when he was here in January, spoke about one agent that he'd helped go in his first year to become a million dollar writer by following Tom's instruction. Uh, Tom opened his first real estate agency on, uh, at the age of 22. Um, you've been uh, alive for a few more years since then, Tom, and he's been in real estate now for 30 years. You can see Tom every Saturday on curbsides when he was allowed to calling auctions. I, um, I love watching your auctions, Tom, and I just love everything that you do because you're a great industry leader. But um, we're going to talk today to you about how to be a listing freak. And uh, we're also going to ask you the winning words and scripts for buyers and sellers right now in this marketplace that agents are using and the importance of playing the long game with your clients. So I'm going to get straight into it. Let's, uh, let's go to the elephant in the room, coronavirus or uh, COVID-19. What positive changes have you seen in the real estate industry since this epidemic has hit? Now, I know it's negative, but you know, where are the positives in this for you? Um, the positives for me personally and the positives for me in the real estate industry are two different things. So I'll just do a quick uh, brief for me. It's and um, um, I'll tell you, I'm making a little bit less money because uh, a lot of my income is earned by doing face-to-face -face conferences. I, uh, I do about 210 conferences a year and uh, my average yield on those is around six and a half grand, six grand plus GST. So I've lost about 55 of those. My auction business has also been impacted. So from a financial perspective, you know, uh, Pete, I've been, I've been hit, but it's not like money is not in my top three at the moment. Like I know someone's probably watching it and saying, oh, you know, that's bullshit. Like, look, it was earlier on in my life, not so much now because I'm not going to starve. I mean, I'm not... Warren Buffett, but I know that, you know, I'll get by. So it hasn't stressed me. And it's been a gift that's been badly wrapped in, in one regard for me because what it's, what it's meant is that uh, I'm not flying. And, um, and, that's, and that's a good thing for me um, because um, I uh, end up actually having more time 
uh, more margin in my life. I'm sleeping at my own home versus sleeping at hotel rooms. That's been a positive. I'm not eating hotel food or reading, eating on the run at an airport. That's been positive. So there's a lot of ticks. I actually can do exercise without having to wake up at 4.30 a.m. because normally I'm a 5 a.m. club person, um, which means that I've got to wake up at, you know, um, early to get flights and fit, fit in exercise. So this extra margin has been very good. For real estate agents, what I've noticed, uh, what's good come out of it? I think some of the agents that were carrying a little bit of fat, and what I mean by fat, they were a little bit sluggish in the way that they were doing things. They wouldn't qualify properly. Or what would happen is they wouldn't get themselves organized or they hadn't actually spoken to their database for a very long time because they always said, hey, I'm flat out. I don't have time. So, Peter, all of a sudden, it's given them an opportunity to start on that database and go from A to Z and actually have some deeper conversations that aren't the traditional, oh, I better do 20 calls, better make 10 connects, better go through those. So all of a sudden, I think real estate agents have become a little bit more human than actually working as a Manila call center. And um, uh, probably the other gift I think it's given real estate agents, it's reminded them they got a pretty good gig overall. And that uh, when it's taken away from you, um, you begin to realize how much you actually valued things. So I think um, the gift has been uh, perspective. It's given people perspective that life's pretty good and it can actually change in an instant. So next time around, post-COVID-19, Peter, I think that uh, real estate agents are going to be a touch more grateful, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 been very interesting times, certainly in my agency, and, you know, we we consider ourselves ones that aren't sticking our head in the sand and we're we're certainly doing a lot of things to try and have a business now and in the future um, by being in touch with people and it's incredible how many people uh, that you ring now being stuck at home uh, into a conversation where they might not have spoken to you previously any any specific things that you've heard agents that are saying now because we'd love to give real tips to to the agents that are listening and some dialogue what, what are agents saying when they're ringing uh, buyers or sellers right now that has changed since previously? Okay. I think the tone has changed, right? So you could actually say the same thing, but the tone has changed. The tone is one that is a little bit more empathetic and is in context with the current situation. And I'm going to go through two phone calls. One is a phone call that you make to your database, that is to people that you're very close with. Um, one is a phone call that you make to your database, that is people that you've met and you've got a connection, and I call it the welfare call. And the welfare call sounds like this. Hey, it's Tom Panos here. The purpose of my call is to simply see, is there any support or help you may need during this time? And they sit back and they listen to what's said. And then they'll say something like this. Can I ask you, what's your understanding of the current marketplace? And they have an open-ended question to begin a bit of a flow. And I've been having clients, Peter, say to me, people are more engaged in the conversation. Sometimes they're engaged because they actually want to get away from their kids. Like if you think about it, if you've been in the home and you've got your kids in your home, 
for 24-7, right? So you actually don't mind having an adult conversation, right? Which previously you were saying, I'm in a meeting, oh, sorry, I'm busy, blah, blah, blah. So that's the welfare call. And then the second call is the call that I call the business as usual call. And this is what it sounds like. Hey, Peter, it's Tom Panos here from XY Real Estate. I want to let you know, for us, it's business as usual, but in an unusual way. I want to let you know that we're actually doing a lot of work at the moment with both buyers and sellers. And I just wanted to ask you, would it be a ridiculous idea if I asked you what your understanding of real estate is at the moment? So it's the business as usual call. And then smart people, Peter, go with the flow on which way that sort of call goes. But I got to tell you, like, I'm training my real estate gym members now to actually qualify their buyers by asking these two questions. Well, it's actually really one question and giving people the alternative. It's this. Hey, Peter, it's Tom Panos here from XY Real Estate. I want to let you know it's business as usual in an unusual way. And I wanted to ask you, Right now, are you buying or are you sitting on the fence? It's as simple as that. Are you buying or sitting on the fence? Anyone that says they're buying, you actually put them in your system as an A. You might put them into your mobile phone as hot. I don't know people watching this on Zoom and Facebook, what CRM they're using. But all I'm saying, the people that say I'm buying, you stick like a stamp sticks on an envelope with those people, right? Absolutely, or- and and the um, you know the 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 fact that there is people out there still looking, and certainly there's a lot of um, you know the same in normal home opens when we could have them. There's a lot of people that are sitting in their houses right now, trawling the internet and doing research and that sort of thing, and they're inquiring. But if you get somebody that actually asks, you know, that they want to see a house. You know, it's the equivalent of them turning up on a 40-degree day or a, or a um, hailstorm. You know, they're buyers and we need to grab them because they are, there are less of them right now. One of the great um, things that I thought about, Tom, and it's, I've used it um, numerous times just in the last week, is when people say, I don't want to buy right now because I think the market's going to go down. I say, well, why don't you put in a future price offer and see what the owners say? So, That's you know, good. And, and that's been working really well. It sort of stops them in their tracks and go, well, you know, what does that need to be? It's like, well, I don't know. You're the one that thinks the market's going down. What if you're wrong? And, and yeah. you know, it's, questioning is, is great. And I, I love listening to you do that because there are so many, um, there are so many agents out there that, uh, that forget that our job is to actually listen more than anything. Um, what, what as far as... Uh, some of the the agents that you've been dealing with, what are the, some of the things that they're doing differently to really help people actually see a house other than just the classic tinkly tinkly videos, I call them where, you know, it's a pan through the house, taking photos of pot plants in the pool, um, but really getting grassroots so that a buyer can view a house without actually entering it. Okay. So, and before I answer that, I do want to let you know that, I envisage that you've sort of raised a question that many agents that are watching this 
are going to say, oh, yeah, that's, that's something that I'm faced with, and that is buyers who are resistant because they've got fear that the market's going to go down, right? So they're uncertain. And um, I just want to, you know, maybe just outline a, a good way to have those conversations with buyers because I think it is an issue. Um, we've got plenty of people saying that market might drop 20, 30, 40%. We've got plenty of people that are saying unemployment and we're between recession and depression. And I think that one of the good things that an agent can say to a buyer is, so here's the situation. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Buyer, I've got to let you know that if you're really, really concerned that the market's going to go down, why don't you just hold off? You know, no one's got a monopoly on the truth. But if you really feel that, hold off. What I can tell you is that last week we sold three properties. And I just want to tell you why we sold those three properties. You see, these buyers had been looking around for a while and all of a sudden they found a home that they really liked. And they were pleasantly surprised that the owner was engaged to hear their offer. And they were also very pleasantly surprised that they had less competition on these properties. And because these people were buying homes for their family, they made a decision on buying a property based on their life, not based on the market. So I think that you need to take into account that if you're going to try and buy at the bottom of the market, you're probably going to do what I did with the share market last week, and that is miss it. You see, the only way that you've actually known where the bottom of the market is is when you look back and say, shit, that was the bottom back then. But by that stage, it's too late because markets move faster than people. And what happens is that you look backwards and say, that was the bottom back then, I've missed it. So you're actually buying while the market's going up when you could have been buying while the market's going down. And the advantage you would have had is you would have had more properties to pick from less competition, lower interest rates. And um, it sort of sounds like to me, you're going to buy a home for your family for a few years. I wouldn't be making a short-term type decision based on a long-term situation, right? And, and the, you know, it's I heard this years and years ago. And remember, the West Australian market has been really dropping for nearly 12 years. It's had a couple of false starts, but... You know, we haven't had a good time. I showed you that data the other day, didn't I, Tom? Yes. You know, it's, uh, it's pretty eye-opening. But one of the things someone told me years ago, they said it's not timing the market, it's time in the market. And if you're going to buy this house and you want to get out of it next year, hey, hold off. But if you're going to buy it and hold it and, as your family home for forever, you, you know, this is the time to buy. And, you know, if, if it suits your stay. Hey, we've had a question come in, Tom, and it's, uh, it's a beauty, and I, I love this question. How do you call someone that you haven't spoken to for two years? Will they be offended? It's like a, a booty call, isn't it, for an ex-girlfriend? Okay, great question because I actually made the call myself today on one of those. Here's what it sounds like. Hey, it's Tom Panos here. Firstly, I want to apologise. I should have been in touch earlier. That's your first five seconds, right? Simple as that. Be vulnerable, be real, apologize, 
Sorry is one of the hardest thing to ever say to people. The minute you say that, they actually open up a bit. So to ever ask that question, I say you apologize at the first five seconds. I should have been in touch earlier. Step number one. Step number two is say this. I want to let you know that one of my things is that I keep in contact with people and somehow you slip through the cracks and I'm not going to let that happen again. Would it be a ridiculous idea if I let you know of any properties that sell or come onto the market that are similar to yours, just so you've got information on what's happening, right? That's your second part. Your third part, Peter, is this. Are you living in your dream home? Like very few people are. A small group are, but most aren't. And from there starts another conversation, right, and tells you where they're at. That would be the best way to do it. That is beautiful dialogue. I think everyone would have to say that uh, if, if, if you do that, you're going to get a pretty good response. Can I ask you, Tom, what was the response to that uh, for the person you hadn't spoken to in a long time? He said to me, I watch your Sunday night rant, so I stay in touch with you. <laughs> That's what he said. He goes, I follow you online and watch your Sunday night thing, right? And I said, yeah, which is just another point to actually say that, you know what, you might actually not be calling them that if you are actually producing content on a regular basis, you have got a touch point, which is something that, you know, maybe you don't think of. I mean, I just thought about it there. I mean, the truth is every time you produce some content and you put it out there, you are actually in many ways having another touch point. It's another jab. It's another jab. So it wasn't like this guy thought I died or I'd left the country. but one thing, and I and Pete, I made this phone call because all of a sudden I've got more time, right? So to whoever wrote that question, I've got to say it's I want to apologise. I should have been in touch earlier. Is a segue to it. Ah, okay. So so Lee Hughes has asked, what did I mean by putting in a future price offer? Um, did you understand what I was talking about then, Tom? Do you want to answer that? Or? Yes, I, no, no, no. You, you answer it because I think, you know, I mean, you've used it and I think you'd answer it more eloquently than I. So go for it. Okay. So um, essentially, you know, if a buyer's, and this buyer inquired on a property that I have in Claremont, they said, listen, uh, you know, what's, you know what, what's the owner's expectations? I said, they're serious sellers. Uh, he said, listen, I, I said to him, you know, what are you doing at the moment? Are you looking to buy something like this? He said, uh, no, you know, I'm, I'm going to wait for a while. I said, oh, what are you waiting for? And he said, oh, I'm just going to wait to see what happens in the future with, you know, this Corona thing. And I said, well, listen, the owners are sellers. And, uh, and you know, if, if you're a buyer and this house suits you, another house like this isn't just going to turn up in five minutes. You know, it's a very specific home. Um, and, you know, if you could get it for the price that you're thinking of in the future, would you be prepared to have a crack at it now? And he said, well, what do you mean? You know, like a lower price than what you just said. I said, I don't know what the owner's going to sell the property for to somebody, but if it went for your price um, that you're thinking that you'd pay in the future, would it be a, a home that you'd be prepared to miss out on? He said, oh, I better have a chat with my wife. So it just is, it's more saying, listen, if you think it's going to be worth less, put an offer in. There was a great man and I've uh, repeated this many times and, and Tommy said, no offers, the owner blames the agent. 
low offers, they blame the market. So take as many offers as you need to show the owner. And uh, by the way, the guy that said that was Tom Panos, everyone. So he does come up with a few crackers. And um, yeah, that's... that's. Did, I, 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 think, I think, Pete, right now, it's the sort of marketplace you can straight out ask a buyer. Like, you ask a buyer. Let's, let's assume you've put the buyer through the hoops, right? And you've actually, you know, if they're coming out and open, if they're coming to an inspection of a property, they're doing the 40-degree inspection, right? They've gone through a few hoops to get there. So they're a qualified buyer. I would say that after the property has been seen, that one of the things that you should say to them is straight out, what price on a contract would represent good value for you? You ask the question, what price on a contract represents good value for you? And you take that price and you go to your vendor. And I actually think with a vendor, right now, I mean, just before... I did, I did two auctions two weeks ago. It was the last night before I brought them forward. And both properties were short by around 50 grand. All I had to say with this to the owners, both of them, deals got done. I said, Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, here's a situation. I just want to ask you a simple question. Are you the gambling type or are you more conservative? Both said conservative. I said, okay. Here's a situation. We've got something that hasn't happened in terms of an epidemic since 1918, the Spanish flu. We've got talk that we're going to have mass unemployment, that we're going to have a lot of deaths. We've got talk that the real estate market is going to crash. You've told me you're conservative. At the moment, you want 900. I've got 850 cash. I'm going to say to you, take the cash. Cash is king. It's not me saying it. It's Warren Buffett. It's Peter Switzer. It's Ross Greenwood. It's every financial expert. Cash is king. Take the cash. And if the property market goes down by 20%, They've got a liability of an asset depreciating, but you've got cash. You take the money and you go off and you purchase when the time is right for you. And I want to remind you, like you might feel like you're buying, you're selling for 50 grand short, but I want to remind you, there's actually two parts to this story. What you sell for and what you buy. You sell for 50 less, but you buy for 100 less. You're 50 grand in front doing a deal in this market. What do you want to do? Do you want to play risky or do you want to play safe? And both instances, people took the cash. Um, and I think there's a, I think you've got to understand and appreciate, Peter, there's a lot of vendors out there that have got inside them and they might not explain it to you. They'll be poker faced, but they have fear. And um, I think that good negotiators can put deals together at lower offers. And, and absolutely, I'm talking to a lot around the country as well. And Tom, um, I want you to maybe give the dialogue as well, because I used it the other day about the uh, taking that 50 to the casino. Can you? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. So I didn't use it on these people, but I mean, I've used it on, on other times, you know, and sometimes when you're, sometimes when you're, you know, like the last time I used it was at a property in Bexley. We were 20 grand short, right? We're 20. It was 880 versus 900, right? And I remember the owner, you know, it was a Macedonian lady and, you know, she just, you know, uh, wouldn't budge. And um, the agent had had a fair bit of a conversation with her. She wouldn't move. And I just said, look, I'm going to leave now because I've got to go to my next auction. But I, I said, I want to explain how I'm seeing it. And I said, the way I see it is you want to sell your property for 900. We've got 880. We're 20 grand short. We've got $880,000 cashier. Do you think it sounds like a safe bet to go risk $880,000 to win 20000 And she stared up, and I still remember her looking up to the ceiling, and she said to me, say that again. I said, we've got 880000 money cash here. We're holding it. Do you want to get that eight eighty and go put it on a number to win 20000 because if we don't get it right, you're stuck with the house and they've got their 880 back. And we sold that for 890. There was a bit of a negotiation, right? We sold it for 890. But I think more than ever, Pete, you work in Perth. I've seen your results. The other day, you've got to be really good at getting vendors to accept the reality of a situation and a situation that in most cases is not desirable. In many instances, they're selling at under what they bought. In most instances, they're not making much money when you add legal stamp duty, you know, agents' commissions. But I do think you're the perfect person to face this market. You've been training for this market for 15 years in Perth. I actually think Perth agents are going to do well because I do remember 1989 when I was in my second or third year of real estate we went from the boom, prices doubled, never ever happened in my lifetime again. So a house that was worth 500 became a million in one year, right? Unbelievable. But then it came crashing, interest rates were 17%, there was zero buyers in the market and the only people that survived were people that could create urgency to a buyer and could create a bit of fear to the vendor and become a deal maker. They flourished. And dealmakers is it, and, and exactly what you've said, you know, I remember when the market crashed here and um, we'd had uh, from 04 to really 08, we were having this immense growth and, uh, and all of the, there, there was a lot of trainers that had CDs out and they were interviewing uh, agents that were talking about how to sell in a down market. And it was, you know, probably a lot of the stuff that you're talking about then. And, and I was thinking, oh, why would you need this? And then all of a sudden it crashed here after the GFC and I went and pulled out all of those CDs that I'd never really listened to. And I started listening to the dialogue of these agents that had flourished in a bad market and were in a hard market. And they were the ones that did do that. You know, like I think it's been shooting ducks in a barrel for a lot of agents around the country. And now the real ones are going to stand up and survive. Now, my next question for you is this, is do you think it's going to come back to being a you know normalish market one day like what's what's your future vision for real estate and when it does get back to let's say the new normal whatever that might look like 
What do you think will have changed in the real estate agents world in the new normal? Okay. So um, I don't believe that people will just use virtual or video without inspecting a property. There's no evidence at all to suggest that is going to be a new norm. I believe that real estate agents are going to begin to realise that they can be effective from not working in the office. They're beginning to realise that there's certain things they can do without having to drive back into the office, that they've got technology, be it FaceTime, WhatsApp on video or Zoom. Everyone's sort of jumped on Zoom. And they're going to begin to realise that they can actually do things without having to worry about driving and parking and walking in and, hi, how are you going? But there's certain things that they're going to be able to do by video. I think if you're a real estate agent that is someone that's been faking it, and what I mean by faking it, you've sort of got by because you go in at a low fee and win the business, but you weren't that good, right? But you got by. And you sort of, you know, you made your 70 to 120 grand and you made it, but you sort of were the kind of person Warren Buffett would say when the tide comes out, that's when you'd work out who's been swimming naked and who's had their bathers and you sort of get found out because you're not the sort of person that can actually get a vendor to agree to something and buyers sort of dominate you. I think they're going to go. So what's real estate going to look like post-COVID-19? In fact, I wrote out on a piece of paper what life was like post-1989. Here's what happened. I, I sat down and I rang on my business partner and I said to him, I want you to tell you remember what it was like. Here it was like. There were more listings than ever. They just came onto the market. And people had to sell. People were worried about employment. People were panicking. So there was more listings. Number two, the commissions were good. People didn't whinge there with commissions. Number three, there just seemed to be less agents. Instead of you having to have this fight with three or four agents in one market, it ended up being just between you and another agent, right? So you ended up two of you sort of getting most of the share. The next thing I noticed is that vendor management was all the game was. All you would be doing is take buyer over, come back, letter, offer, letter, offer. You know, all you were doing was giving feedback letters and then back then we didn't have emails or WhatsApp. It was just a letter, right? And the next thing that happened, it became a business that was all based on buyer inspections, not open inspections. There was just appointments after appointments. And there was a bit of a focus on prospecting for A-class buyers. So you'd spend a lot of time hunting the buyer, which I know Perth agents sort of highly value already. So that's what real estate was like. And Pete, I've got to tell you, it's weird because 
We did well in that market. And the reason we did well is stock flourished. And if you've got stock and you're okay at putting deals together, life's good. The problem is when there's no stock because you can't use your skills, right? So there was stock. So I actually think good times are coming. I really do, you know. But I also accept there's going to be a cash issue June, July, and a little bit of August. And people need to factor that in to their business model. Vendor financing. Uh, you have you, you're been in real estate longer than I have. Uh, did you ever have uh, vendors having to create that little bit of a top-up in vendor finance world when the bank couldn't give them everything? So when you mean, elaborate what you mean by vendor financing, because there's a few financing options available for vendors, right? You're not meaning vendor financing for their marketing, right? No, no, I'm- sorry. More more the, um, the buyer can't quite uh, come up with all of the dough. The, oh, the right. seller wants to sell it. Um, the buyer's been to the bank and they've actually spent, the bank's given them every dollar they can, but they still want to buy. And this is in a time where it's tough, obviously, because normally you don't worry about this. And the vendor says, listen, we're 30 grand short. What if I loan them the money um, and they pay me back? Uh, have you ever, are you aware of that? No. Oh, yeah, of course I'm aware of it. But it wasn't, but Pete, it wasn't, it wasn't um, back then during that period, it wasn't. I'm aware that vendor financing is a term that people keep up their sleeve in negotiations. Like, you know, you got to, you know, you turn around and you say, so, so you don't get so fixated on the price. There are certain things you can work on. You know, one of them is vendor financing. One of them is settlement periods. Like right now, you know, I look, give us, if you're stressed about the current market, that's fine. I get it. Let's just, do the deal and settle in six months because COVID will be done by then, right? So settlement periods. So you could play around with those things. Uh, absolutely. Now, two questions have come up here. Uh, okay, so Vendor was planning on going onto the market and now they're saying, no, we want to hold and wait for something. What do you say to them? Okay, so there's a, a couple of scenarios because let's assume that these people were an investor, right? And they were simply just going to be selling their property because they were going to um, um, uh, uh, just collect money, sell out. That's different to a person that's actually selling a home because they're going to buy another home. You treat them differently. And the reason you treat them differently is because of research that Daniel Kahneman studied in 1979. In He won a Nobel Prize for Behavioural Economics, Peter. He won the prize because he came up with some remarkable research that people feel more pain losing a dollar than pleasure winning a dollar. So what they're saying is when the market goes down, the average person doesn't look at the opportunity in purchasing, they look at the pain in selling. So what a good real estate negotiator does is create a narrative and good context and says to the vendor, can I ask you, if you had sold, what would you do next? Now, if they turn around and say, 
oh, well, we'd actually, you know, we, we want to go and, and buy, we want to, you know, go buy a four-bedroom home. We need a bigger home. We say, okay. Well, it's important I actually tell you what some of my smart clients have been doing that are upgrading as well. So you always make a reference to other people because it takes away the commission breath because they think, oh, here he goes. You say, let me tell you what these people have done. You see, their house has gone down 100 grand. They would have got 800, but now they're only getting seven. But they're buying a property that was 1.5, and now they're picking it up for 1.2. So they're actually saving 300 grand. They're stepping up into a market they couldn't get before, but they are selling a little bit lower. So they're selling for 100 less, but they're buying for 300 less. They're actually $200,000 better off doing a deal during COVID-19, right? Now, to an investor, you would say this, can I ask you, if you, if you did sell, what would you do next? And if they say, listen, all we were doing was selling out and uh, we're not buying another property, we we're just going to collect the money, right? You then probe a little bit higher. Could I ask you, would you be investing in anything else? oh, we we're going to put it in our, you know, like super fun or whatever, say, well, let me tell you, you know, the share market has actually dropped from 7,000 points to 5,000 points, which is around 25%. And um, I can pretty much tell you that some of our real estate clients don't want to miss out on the opportunity cost because you don't want to waste a crisis. You only get one of those every so often. And what we're saying to them is you might sell a little bit less with your home, but you're going to be able to pick up 20, 30% in the share market. It's uh, probably an opportunity you only get once every 50 years. Um, and Peter, that's probably the best way. You probe, find out what you're doing, and then you look at what the opportunity for those people is. I think everyone that's listening to this is hopefully picking up what I'm getting. And this is what, what makes Tom an incredible auctioneer as well as great agent and coach is that Tom understands the value of having a story and the way that he has told those stories has anyone listen and get that, you know, you, you, you've got a real life situation that you're sharing with them. It might not happen to them. It might happen to them, but it allows them to get their mind away from the story they've got in their head because they're going to stick to their story unless they hear a better story. And, and you're absolutely right about the pain and the pleasure. Um, you know, I've got a great one because, you know, in 2007, I got divorced. Uh, it was at the top of the market. We got a great price for the family house. I went and bought my uh, bachelor house and paid top dollar for it. I, I lost, when I sold that in 2011, I lost $620,000. Um, not including the interest payments, but I'll, I'll get over that one day. Um, but uh, then I went out with that cash with my, my new wife and we then bought a place that was amazing in, in an area we could not have ever thought we would live in because we actually took the opportunity of getting out of something small into something bigger and saved a huge amount of money. Now, the, the great story that I can tell my clients is that the that house that I lost the first amount of money on sold twice since and each time they lost money as well. So Mr. and Mrs. Seller, there's my story. How do you think that things are going to go now? Um, because that was just a mining crash. 
Yeah. What's going to happen yeah. now? Yeah. Uh, Peter, the key thing there is the power of story. It is very powerful. And, in fact, I'll say to you it's more powerful than actually a straight-out script or dialogue. And the reason why is when you tell a story, you're actually taking a person from their story and for just a short moment, if you're a good storyteller, you take that person and you put them into that story and they feel it. They actually feel like they're the person in that story and that's where influence happens. And that's why we've got the entertainment industry, the movie industry has got the ability to make people cry on things that aren't real. But for a moment, you're watching the story and tears come down your eyes because you were in the story. You were the main actor. Anyone that hasn't read uh, the Story Brand book, uh, it's definitely worth getting in there. Now, we've got a, a question from Stuart Bath. Uh, Hi, Tom. What would uh, you have a brand new salesperson doing to gain traction in this market? Uh, is it to focus on farm area or just go for everything? Okay. So, new salesperson, focus on farm area, on focus we'll, on we'll everything. Go wide. Okay. Um, I've seen I've seen both scenarios work, and I've seen both scenarios not work. I would suggest that um, what you want to do is don't necessarily think about the area. Think about becoming the biggest. You want to be the biggest fish in the fish tank, right? And how do you do that? you narrow your focus, right? You narrow your focus. And how do you narrow your focus? You decide that you become the go-to the go-to guy in a specific segment. It might be a suburb. It might actually be that you specialize in a kind of property. It might be that, you know, I do beachside properties or I do investment units. What you want to do is become the Google of a particular segment. So yes, you are narrowing your focus because it's pretty easy to become a rock star in a niche. It's hard to become a rock star in all of Australia. So I would say that, but to me, a far better question would, a far better advice I'd give to the gentleman would be what you've got to do is, um, Worry about building a personal brand. That is the biggest thing. So one of the keys that I have uh, done in the past that's really worked is that you um, you get to people's houses, you get to a street and you say, would you like me to just keep you up to date with everything that sells within 500 metres of you only? Now, guys, on RP Data, you can set up these awesome little searches that actually put a ring around that particular area. And then every time something sells, then you just SMS them. This is the best. Everyone has got, um, you know, they ignore emails a lot these days. But if you then SMS that person that says, Tom, just letting you know, the house at 26, three streets away, sold for $1,250,000. And then communicate with them in a nice way as well. Like that SMS that you can actually get as a group SMS to everyone in that area. You can say, what do you think of that? Because you don't want to just tell them, you want to get an answer back and start a communication with that person 
because the more that they communicate with you, if you've developed, if you develop a pipeline of one and then you communicate with that person enough, that person will consider you their agent and you will get that listing when they go to sell. So all you need to do is, is, is generate a pipeline of uh, 500. Now, if, if everyone does the numbers on this, if you've got a pipeline of 500, um, 10% of them will sell every year. Now, COVID, that might be more. If, you're, if you work out your um, average commission, and let's say that your average, average commission is $20,000, then you've got 50 people. Now, you're not going to win every single one of them, but let's say you, you, know, you, you do. You've got 50 people that are going to sell that you haven't done anything except give them information that they wanted, and uh, you've, you've had a really good year in real estate. And that's what you need to do right now, everyone. And if you're brand new, develop a pipeline whatever you can do to give people info they want. If you send them stuff that they don't want, expect them to turn you off. What do you reckon about that, Tom? I think 100%. I think right now, the intelligent people, and look, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big advocate in 2020 of the digital door knock, you know? And the digital door knock is a door knock that is created because you're producing content and that content is solving a problem that the marketplace cares about. I mean, if you really think about it, Sunday Night Rant is me producing content because I suss out what's keeping people up at night. And then all I do is as simple as this. This is what I do. I mean, if you could see what I do, I get this tripod. This is the one I use, eight bucks, picked it up after Eric on the Gold Coast. I can move that there to make that like Insta, or I can move it that there to do a Facebook. I have this ring light that there. See that ring light there, puts light in your face. It's also got a holder to put your phone. So you can actually pretty much be shooting content anywhere. And then all I do is I add this Rode mic to the phone here. And then what you would do is an example, you just put that there. Clip that to your shirt, crystal clear sound. You're in business. You've got a you know, good quality video and you'd say, hey, it's Tom Panos here. I'm in uh, 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 Bankstown and I want to let you know that the research out there is showing that this is what COVID-19 is going to do to the value of your home in Bankstown. People want to hear that. What will it do to the value of your home in Bankstown? And what does an intelligent person do? Go on a Google, types in Wuhan, real estate, what happened? Get a little bit of content there, right? And then put down Wuhan, real estate, uh, post-COVID-19. Go put in there, Spanish flu, real estate, what happened? And before you know it, you've actually got a bit of information that you can actually share with two or three minutes and say, this is what has happened previously and this is what we think will happen. And, um, you know, like this guy that said to me when I rang him, and I stay in contact with you, in many ways, you know, I had a, I've got a, uh, let's call it a, a, a virtual relationship with this person, you know. So don't underestimate that too. Listing freak dialogue. Uh, what are agents using right now to be listing freaks? Okay. At a listing presentation, here's a bit of dialogue that I think you've got to be using. Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, I've got to let you know, at the moment, I'm being called in by owners and during those meetings, they want me to cover the following things. I'm going to outline them and I want you to give me some feedback and let me know whether you feel comfortable in me covering those things. So they're asking me to cover what I think their home would sell for today. 
what price it would sell for today. I intend to cover that. They want me to cover how long they think it's going to take me to sell the property in the current market, which is timing. I intend to cover that. They also want me to cover where am I going to advertise it right now? And they want me to cover whether I'm going to be charging him any advertising fees, what that will be, and they want to know roughly my commission. They also want me to cover whether I should use auction, for sale, by negotiation, what method I'm going to use. My plan today is to cover all of these things. If I cover all of those things, is there anything else you'd like out of this meeting today? Then you wait to hear what they say, then you say, great. So if we can tick all those off, would we be able to move to the next step and talk about what would happen next? That is the kind of conversation. Other things that are gonna help you with your listing dialogue specifically, and this is COVID-19 or not COVID-19, this is listing dialogue. And that is, Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, I've got to tell you that often when I come over to look at a property, the vendors want to really just find out what the house is worth. The reality is today I intend to give you three prices, an emotional figure, a probable figure, and a bargain hunter's figure. I'm not going to be able to give you an exact figure, and that is because we could sit here all night and we could argue what your property's worth and we still wouldn't get it right. It's worth different to different people, but what I would like to tell you, it's the process and not the promise of a price that's going to get you top dollar. I'd like to spend some time talking about that process. So that's very powerful dialogue. Ladies and gentlemen watching this, if you just took that dialogue that Tom has put, and that was all of about four minutes um, or less, and you just learnt that, wrote in your head so that when you say it, it com comes out perfectly. You cannot miss a listing with that dialogue. That is a listing freak dialogue. And I tell you, I've, I've used it myself and it works every time. You have to listen and not just talk. Um, but mate, that is just a cracker. So other agents expired listings. A question from uh, a good friend of mine, an amazing agent, Will Ainsworth down in Geelong. And uh, do you know Will, Tom? Of course I do. He's a fantastic guy and I was very close friends. Uh, his actual brother uh, worked in uh, at News Corp. When I was national head of real estate, he worked, uh, his name's Tom Ainsworth. He worked at realestate.com as well. I think he worked for Domain. Yes, he did. And I know Will very well. He's a McGrath agent in Geelong. Will, um, Will sold uh, about 65 uh, open negotiations in the last few mo uh, five months and he's catching me very fast, so I, I hate that. But, mate, he's asked um, expired listings and going out and talking to those people. What are you, what's your feeling on that? Okay. So expired listings, uh, it's pretty much last man standing wins. There's actually not a huge amount of science in the expired listing process. It's just that what happens is when people contact them, they shrug you off. And what happens is most real estate agents that get shrugged off, they go, they stop. What good real estate agents do is that they realize that someone that signs up with an agent is 90 days. They also do the science, and that is at day 60, they're psychologically looking for another agent because no one ever lists a property thinking, hey, 
we're wasting our first two months, but we're actually going to sell at day 60, right? So at day 60, they're sitting there and they're thinking, hang on a second, we might not have made a good decision. So what the good real estate agents do is from zero day to day 30, they stay in touch and treat that person like a buyer. And I've got some you know, good letters that I use that you can send out there. And that is, hey, so the letter's different, but I'll just give you the dialogue to it. Hey, you know, I realize that you're selling and what I'd like to do is to keep you in contact with any pre-marketing opportunities on what's happening in the marketplace because um, you might look at buying um, in the near future. So what you do is you get them to like you and you stay in contact. Then what you do is you stay in touch, you stay in touch, and around day 40, day 45, you actually start asking some better questions. And the better questions are things like this. Can I ask you, why don't you think your home has sold? Very, very rarely will someone say it's because it's shit or it's because it's overpriced. They'll normally say things like, oh, timing. Sometimes I'll say, we're not sure, like, we're not sure, like, it's a, it's a beautiful home. And all you're doing, it's very important, Tom, uh, it's very important, Will, you don't have commission breath in any of these approaches, right? Because they're on guard more than ever, because they've been hit by agents. All you want to do is have them liking you. And then at some point, you're going to say to them, hey, that surprises me. Because we're selling homes in around 17 days when they're nice homes and well-priced. Would it be a ridiculous idea that I have a look at the home and I'll keep it in the back of my head because I know that right now um, you're actually engaged with an agent, but it'd be useful for me to have it in the back of my head in case I come across a buyer that's got a good budget, right? And that's what it is. It's really much jabbing, um, but treat them as a buyer in the early stages because that's going to give you entry into the ground. And and no one, even the other agent, can't get upset with you if you're helping them buy um, because you're essentially not going behind the sign. And really good question here that's come out. How do you overcome competing agents talking badly about you to win the business? Okay, so... Shit agents um, usually. Yeah, that you know. So 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 anyone anyone whose listing strategy is let's chop their building off instead of building a higher building, is essentially saying I actually um, am paranoid about my own ability. Right. So in in short, Peter, I think it's really useful for a real estate agent to find out who's slagging them and how they're slagging them. And what you do is you inbuilt it into your presentation, right? And um, you have it covered, right, in your presentation because what you're doing is you're sort of setting up that vendor. You're educating that vendor. And I had a client actually only last month. He ended up getting a listing presentation done by an agent that was bagging him to one of his uh, one of his a colleague or a family friend. They did a listing presentation. 
and he heard what was said. And now what he does is he covers that in his listing presentation without naming names. He says, there are some other agents that spend more of the time and energy trying to actually put others down than putting their energy on getting owners top dollar. I'm not in that category. Yeah, that's really good. And, and you know, the, 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 the fact is, everybody, you've got to keep your eye on, on what the owner wants anyhow. So if you connect with the owner well enough and you've got the best strategy and someone's trash talked to you, then the owner works that out pretty quick. You just Whatever you do, don't play the same game because um, there's hey, too many. Hey, we live in a world now that trash talking automatically says to the person that's listening to the trash talking, you're jealous. That is the world that we live in. The average person gets it. So I wouldn't be stressed out about it, right? I get people, look, I know, I get people, I get people like I'm big on social and I have people that trash me there with comments there. It really doesn't hit my radar screen, you know? No, no don't let it get to you, anyone. Now, I, I know, Tom, that uh, you are, well, no, you said to me the other day, it's actually, you know, everything's a little less stressful for you. Now, just a quick one, because uh, now you've, you've been a multiple cancer survivor. Um, COVID must scare the living daylights out of you. What have you done to stay safe? Okay. One, two, three. Like, pretty much obsessive. I'm, I'm, I'm healthy. Like, you know, this morning I ran 11 and a half Ks and I did a pretty good time. So I'm healthy for a 52-year-old, but I've been told by my doctor you know, you're immune suppressed, Tom, you know, you are, he actually said it. I have never had in my whole life, anyone that has been pre-treated as much as you. You got to remember cancer three times. So I've had three times a year of chemo and radiation times three. There's a lot that's going on. And he said to me, you don't want to get COVID-19 because you're probably going to push your body to fight for it. So I'm obsessive about it. Um, so what am I doing? Um, I'm over communicating by Zoom and phone. Anyone that's watching me, I, I'm not going to waste this crisis. I can build market share and I can actually just go even higher. Like at the moment, I'm sort of number two in the world on social in the category of real estate. And I can sense if I over communicate, when things change in the next month or two, people are going to say, this guy was there when the shit was going down. He was just pumping information. He was a community service. So I'm over communicating, but I'm also taking incredible precautions. And when I say incredible precautions, um, I pretty much am reclusive. I wake up early in the morning and I go for a run when there's less people because I'm getting an hour of exercise a day. I'm doing around 15 phone calls a day and I'm doing five Zoom meetings. And um, I'm eating super clean, super healthy. That's what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm, staying, uh, I'm staying home. I'm staying home because I want this thing to end sooner rather than later. I like what New Zealand's done. They're in lockdown. Um, and uh, I have a view that open for inspections and auctions are going to be back in May. I believe that that's going to happen. I'm putting it out on tape, and I believe that auctions and open houses will be up and running. And the reason why, Peter, is the things that went last are the things that are going to open first. Auctions and open were the last, right? And, um, yeah, 
Um, obviously, you know, I love auctions as well because auctions are the ve very best way for the owners to see multiple people interested in their property from a low price to a high price, which then has them to be able to come to a conclusion uh, if it goes above their reserve easy. And then uh, certainly good agents can negotiate up to the price to get them done. So, you know, the auction method is tried and true. Um, uh, Tom, I could speak to you all day, mate. You are just, it's, you're just a wealth of info. And I think everyone, please, if you, uh, I know that this is internal on the open negotiation um, private page, but uh, can you please just like, thank uh, any other questions we can put out there to Tom. Um, but I really cannot thank you more than uh, from the bottom of my heart. Um, hang on. Last question. Sorry, Amy just handed it to me. 220 has been a big year for real estate agents and we're only three, three to four months in. If you had to give agents one piece of advice that would help them not only make it through 2020, but come out stronger, what would you say right now? Have more conversations than any other person in your marketplace, because that's going to put you in the situation to actually solve more problems. And the person that solves the most amount of problems in a marketplace wins. And the only way that you're going to solve a problem is if you hear the problem. And the only way that you're going to hear the problem is if you actually are in conversation with these people. So I would say have more conversations than anyone else. You're lucky. Your competition is getting a little bit psychologically devastated. It's called a infodemic. They're probably not going to get COVID-19, but they have got the psychological version of COVID-19. And it is, you can Google this, you can check it out. You cannot get COVID-19 by talking to people on the phone and they can't get it off you. So there's no reason to, you know, not make more calls than anyone in the marketplace. Thank you, mate. Um, thank you. Keep safe. And um, everybody just, uh, I'm going to give Tom a plug because uh, if you, when are you opening up the gym again, Tom? It opened on Sunday night because we, um, I'm, I've got time now and I can produce lots of content and, and there's people that are at home and they're producing and we had 75 on the wait list. So we opened up on Sunday. So sign up. So guys and girls, right now you're thinking, oh, I've got to save money. I've got to, you know, batten down the hatches, putting information and, and uh, upskilling yourself when it's really hard means that you will survive the other end because the agents that aren't upskilled, unfortunately, will be the ones, well, maybe fortunately, are the ones that will leave the industry talking uh, exactly what Tom said about post um, the recession that we had to have. The ones that come out the other end are the ones that make their name in real estate for the next 20 years. Be one of the ones that come out the other end. Invest in yourself. Listen to Tom. Go on to his, uh, listen to his rants to start, but get onto his, um, uh, onto the gym. It is Best value for money ever. I think it works out at something like a dollar a day or something, doesn't it, Tom? Uh, no, it's more. It's six twenty a year. So what's that? Three hundred and fifty days. So it's about one dollar eighty a day. Dollar eighty a day, folks. Um, if you can't afford to improve yourself from a dollar eighty a day, uh, get out of the industry now because if you can't invest in yourself, then you're probably not going to make it anyhow. And you, um, but mate, thank you. Love talking to you, and um, we'll see you soon.